preaching this morning, so well, actually we've been singing about freedom. I believe that Christ has set us free. In his presence, we are free, and uh, that nothing holds us back. And uh, I want you to have a look at the statement here, which will test you quite how much you believe that, that concept of freedom. So, God forgives me, so I can do what I want. Take a moment just to consider, have a think about how much you believe that statement, whether you agree with it or disagree with it. At this point, I'm not telling you whether there's a right or wrong answer. I will in a minute, don't worry, it's fine. Um, yeah, feel free. Have a think, even have a brief discussion with the person next to you if you want. Turn to them and say, I hate it when the preacher makes us talk to each other. <laughs> Too soon? All right. Okay, and whilst you're having a think about that, um, uh, in your Bibles, if you could please uh, turn, if you can stick finger in a couple of chapters, so John chapter 8 and Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you should get one. They're really good. Um, and, and I would highly recommend it. I won't give away the ending, um, but you should read it. Anyway, God has forgiven me so I can do what I like. This is true. Okay? Yes? Right. Good. You are free to act how you wish. Do you think there is a limit to God's forgiveness? No. no. Good. Good. I'm glad you're opening on the same page there. Do you think there's a limit to the power of the cross? No. 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 Jesus died and took all punishment for your sin, past, present, and future. Okay? We trust that when we accept Jesus' sacrifice and give our lives to him, he has taken away our sin for all time, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. In Romans 8, uh, 33 to 34, it says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything stop God from loving you? No. Good. So God has forgiven you. You can do what you like. You are free. You're free. Do whatever you like. You're free. On the back of that, is sin okay? No. Is it fine to sin? No. Do we tell people to be relaxed about it because of God's forgiveness? No. No, we, we tell people to be ruthless about avoiding sin, of not letting it have a hold in your life, because it is destructive, and because the negative consequences of that can be quite significant. And Jesus is very clear about this, um, and in actual fact, is clear about how ruthless we need to be in not letting sin take hold, and not being flippant or relaxed about allowing that in our lives. So... Matthew 5, you don't need to turn to it, I'll read it in 29-30. says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. That's quite strong language, isn't it? Okay, now, we tend 
not to follow this as a literal instruction about physical dismemberment. As otherwise, by now, I would be a blind, deaf, mute, quadriplegic eunuch. Um, uh, however, this doesn't allow us to shy away from the fact that Jesus is teaching that we have to be deadly serious about sin and about not uh, being relaxed in our attitude towards that or casual in allowing that in our lives. Okay. I can do what I like is very different from saying that it doesn't matter what I do. Okay. Those are very different concepts. Okay. Our actions have consequences. The Bible is very clear about this. As a man reaps what he sows. Okay. You're free to choose. But what you do has consequences. If you choose, for example, if you choose to be kind and compassionate to your family, your relationship with them will flourish. And the fruit of that, will, that choice will last a lifetime. You don't need to do that for God to love you. Okay? But the benefits of it for you and others are there. Likewise, if you choose to steal a car, okay, likely you'll go to prison. Okay? God still loves you. Nothing changes that. Okay? He doesn't love you any less because you've done it. But the negative effect on your life is huge. Okay? So... While we are free to choose our actions, we are not free to choose the consequences of our actions. And this is very important. Okay? You're free to choose anything. And Paul says this. He says, you know, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And so you can behave in a way. In actual fact, if we're truly serious about grasping grace, we can truly say in actual fact that there is literally nothing that will remove you from the love of God. Literally nothing. But what we do has consequences. What we choose has an effect. Democracy is a wonderful example of this, isn't it? <laughs> You're free to choose, free to vote, free to elect whoever you want. You then have to put up with what they choose to do afterwards. Okay? And this applies both kind of corporately as a group and also personally in terms of our actions. And I think um, especially in the days when a lot of our interactions are online um, and we can somehow think that what we do there doesn't have real consequences um, when everything's a step removed um, and it feels like, you know, well, Partly everyone's brave in cyberspace, um, and you can say whatever you like there. But in actual fact, the repercussions of that um, can be significant. Also, we need to bear in mind what we were set free from and what we were set free for. Okay? You were set free from the power of sin and death. You were also set free for a life with Christ for a life of righteousness, for a life of purity, and for a life of enjoying his goodness. We were set free from the penalty of sin. Jesus took the punishment for us. And we don't have to suffer that anymore. We were also set free from the power of sin. It doesn't have a hold on us anymore. We don't have to do it. Okay, so our emphasis 
doesn't necessarily need to be right. I'm saved. I must not sin. I'm saved. I don't have to. Sin has no power over me. You have been set completely free. We need to trust in that. Okay. Now, we need to not, as I'll come on to earlier, not be overly uh, hard on ourselves or wallowing guilt when we mess up. But we also need to know that it is an option not to do that now. You didn't used to have that power. In your old life, you were a slave to sin. You didn't have an option to live otherwise. You are now free. And you don't have to live like that anymore. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Okay? Don't go back to the things that used to bind you, that used to trip you up, that mess up your life. Um, I'd, I'd recommend... I'd recommend one of my own sermons on this from the past. So, uh, Slaves to Righteousness is a sermon. It's on the website. It's from August 2015. Um, feel free to have a look at that. I'll talk about that in more detail. But this morning, I want to talk about how we hold these two truths in tension. How, on the one hand, do we tell of the complete forgiveness and grace of God and saying that God can restore all things and that it doesn't matter what you've done in the past, you can be set free completely, the guilt can be washed away, and the effects of sin can be removed completely, and God can restore all things. And that is absolutely true. And then on the other hand, we tell people of the importance of living a godly life of purity. And how do we hold those two things in tension? How do we apply these teachings? Let's look at an example. As ever... We look to Jesus. He's always our frame of reference for this, our ultimate example, and, our, and he's the one who actually empowers us in these circumstances. Without him, we're just teaching a self-help manual with no real power for change. Without him, there is no freedom at all. Okay? This is not something that we dredge up from within ourselves or that we just do by our own determination. Okay? The answer, as ever, is always found in the presence of Jesus. Joe, could you put up the uh, scripture, please, if that's right? So if you've got John 8, this is an example. You can turn to it. John 8, we'll look at verse 1 to 11. I'll read it out. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus... Teacher, this, man, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left and the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And that final, that final sentence, I think is probably one of the most powerful statements I think we find. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Jesus was faced with a situation where someone had messed up. The woman had committed adultery. She'd been caught having sex with someone who wasn't her husband. And this at the time was punishable by death. Uh, There was no question of her guilt. 
they weren't bringing her to Jesus for him to decide whether she had done it or not. That wasn't in doubt. Um, there's also a, a lot of, of comment on the fact that uh, they, they only brought the woman before Jesus. That, uh, as far as we know, it generally takes two people to commit adultery. Um, and, uh, and why hadn't they brought the man forward at that point? Now, we don't know. Actually, we, we, we don't know what had happened. It might have been that they dealt with the man separately. It might have been that they'd already stoned him to death and then brought the woman along to try and test Jesus. Okay? It might be, and it's probably unfortunately more likely, that in actual fact they'd been more lenient on the man um, and brought the woman forward because unfortunately in the culture at that time, women were regarded as second-class citizens and the Pharisees were rather notorious in the way that they, they treated uh, women. And so, unfortunately, that's quite likely that in actual fact that that's the reason why we're only seeing uh, one half of the offending couple here at this point. Nonetheless, you know, regardless of what's happened with the, with the other person, there's no doubt that she is in the wrong, that she is guilty. She, she doesn't deny that. No one else denies that. Um, and there's no question as to whether Jesus condones this kind of behavior as well. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? The laws of punishment of adultery given by God in Leviticus 20 are from him. Okay? Jesus was there eternally when they created. Those are his laws. He also speaks out against sex outside of marriage in his teachings in Mark 10. And he even goes beyond the scope of the Old Testament law in Matthew 5, the passage that we looked at earlier, where it says, you know, if your, if your eye causes you to sin, muck it out. He's saying, look, it's, it's, even, it's not just important what you do, it's important how you think as well. Um, so Jesus is, uh, is not at all condoning this behavior and is not denying that this woman has sinned and is guilty. And the Pharisees knew this. They were, they were experts in the law and they were familiar with what Jesus had been teaching. Yet they were trying to trap him here. Um, and I think they were hoping probably one of two things. Either he says, you know, just let her go. And they can accuse him of being a hypocrite and soft on sin um, and of not being a righteous teacher. Or they're hoping that he says, you go ahead and kill her. And he authorizes the stoning of this woman, in which case... Typically, they'd probably Jesus would have got in trouble with the Romans because the Jewish people weren't allowed to authorize their own executions in that time. That's why Jesus has had to be brought before Pilate, if you remember, at the time of the crucifixion. Um, so it would have got Jesus in trouble that way. Also, Jesus um, was uh, quite familiar with standing up to the Pharisees against the downtrodden, and they could have used that against him if he had um, said, yeah, just go ahead, yep, start chucking rocks, off you go. And Jesus does neither, because he is clever. He puts the question back to them, makes them look at themselves in this context. Whoever is without sin, let them throw the first stone. And we must think about this very carefully as well whenever we're thinking about judging someone else. Okay, first look at ourselves. And bear in mind, when we talk to people about the effects of sin, we're all sinners without him saving us. Okay? And this is not to say that we discount sin because other people have. You don't use other people's behavior as an excuse for your own. Okay? You are in charge of your behavior. You are responsible for how you act. But we're also taught quite clearly, okay, when we're thinking about being hard on other people and judgmental on other people, first take the plank out your eye, then the speck out of someone else's. Okay? And Jesus is not saying, 
I was, well, we all mess up, so we'll just let it slide. Yeah, yeah, we'll just let this, let this woman off. Okay. She's responsible for her actions, I said. But once everyone has left, she is standing before the one person who is without sin. Okay. Who is entirely within his right to start chucking rocks at her. Okay. He has that authority, and he's the only person that in actual fact has the right to bring that judgment. Jesus is the one person who can stand in perfect judgment, who has never sinned, and when sin is brought before him, has the right to condemn that utterly. Fortunately for her, he has another plan. He, doesn't, he chooses not to condemn her, and he doesn't make light of her sin, because he knows that by him not condemning her sin, and by her not dying for her sin, he will die for her sin. And that's why he has the right to not condemn her, because he has already paid the price of that. He doesn't brush this under the carpet. He doesn't say, this doesn't matter. He doesn't say, this isn't serious. This is deadly serious. One day, Jesus will die for this woman's sin. But he chooses not to condemn her. Neither do I condemn you is a statement that is so life-changing Because Jesus isn't just one of the crowd. He's the person with the authority to bring forgiveness. And he sets her free from the effects of her past sin. He's just saved her literally from death. She deserved to die. That was to be her punishment. And Jesus just took it away. Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is a message we can proclaim with utmost confidence. And he then goes on to say, go now and leave your life of sin. Why? Because he wants the best for her. He wants her forgiven from the effects of her past sin, and he wants her free to live righteously. You are forgiven, and you are empowered. Because two things happen in the presence of Jesus regarding sin. One is the penalty for it is removed. It is gone. It is dealt with now and forever. He has said a permanent yes to that. Okay. And the other is that you are empowered. You are given the authority to walk free, away from the power of sin. You are equipped to live in holiness. And growing in maturity and godliness relies on an ongoing encounter with Jesus, a living relationship with him that shapes our lives. The answer to freedom from guilt and to living right is very simply to be madly in love with Jesus. When you're born again, you're a new creation, destined to live as a child of God, holy and blameless in his sight. And the more time we spend with him, the more... What we want is similar to what he wants. The more our heart starts to line up with his. God forgives me, so I can do what I want. It's absolutely true. You're free. Okay? There is no condemnation for you. My actions have consequences. Again, this is true. Okay? Don't get lax about sin in your life because it's destructive. When you grow in Christian maturity, what you want becomes more in line with what Jesus wants. God forgives us completely. We must not take sin lightly. 
But the answer to this, as ever, the reason that this woman was forgiven and then given the authority to walk and leave her, her life of sin is because she had met Jesus. And this sounds very simple, but it is very simple. Now we'll just keep coming back to that. Okay? The solution to this is an encounter with Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Youth group, you're in, some of you are in today. You know, this is the standard answer that we would give every week. What's the answer? Jesus. <laughs> Don't even need to think. <laughs> Although you should. Thinking's good. Um, <laughs> hey, I said earlier, Christianity is not a self-help program. It is a God-help program. Okay. All right. This is not something where you must think, right, okay, I need to just love myself more so that I, um, so that I feel less guilty. Alright? That's actually quite toxic if you go that route. Okay? You are not there to, uh, try and boost your self-esteem by your own efforts so that you feel less bad about the effects of things that you have done in the past. Okay? Now, I want you to have a healthy self-esteem, okay? want you to know freedom from the guilt of things that are in the past. But the answer to that is not for you to work that up from within yourself. It is for you to get within the presence of God and for him to declare over you, you are righteous. I have set you free. There is no guilt. There is no condemnation. And the price that was paid was the blood of Jesus. Okay? Likewise, when we set forward for our Uh, how we walk in the future. The answer is not to say, okay, I must be more determined by my own self-discipline not to sin, not to walk, you know, in the words of Johnny Cash, I walk the line. Okay. Uh, Okay, Johnny Cash references. (laughs) Listen to Johnny Cash. (laughs) Christian, good man. Um, But yeah, there's this thing, okay, I must just walk the straight and narrow. I walk the line. No. Yes, the... We are all responsible for our own actions, okay? God will not make the choices for you, okay? But the power to live differently and the power that equips you to make choices that lead to freedom and to life, that power comes from him, that power comes from the Holy Spirit. The secret is just to be in the presence of God. I'd like to just apply this briefly as well, just in terms of how we interact with one another, because... Honest, if you're in a room this this big, you will come across other people that have messed up. One is standing talking talking to you right now, okay? And you will have to decide, partly in some of these situations, which truth to emphasise. Both of these are true, but in actual fact, the way that we bring these needs to be done with sensitivity. And you need wisdom in terms of how you're applying that, in terms of how you're dealing with other people. Okay? Especially when dealing with the effects of sin in your life and in other people's life. So on some occasions, it might be absolutely right to remind people of the fact that they are forgiven and that they are free and that they have no guilt. And on some occasions, it might be right to warn people of the possible consequences of, the behave, of their behavior and the path that they are walking down because in actual fact you love them and you don't want to see them harmed and hurt. And also, especially if someone's actions are going to bring a destructive influence amongst other people, 
then it might be right that you emphasize very clearly sin has consequences. Your actions have consequences. You need to pay close attention to what you're doing. And I'm not going to tell you when those times are. (laughs) Because that's not my job. And also... Uh, because there isn't an easy formula for it and because we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, trusting that he gives us wisdom rather than thinking that we can figure it all out beforehand using human reasoning and a formula. It is down to you to allow the Holy Spirit to train you how to think. You have the mind of Christ. Feel free to use that. Okay? It is not possible, and nor is it healthy for me or any other leader to tell you what to think in every situation. That is not what we want. That is not what we're aiming for in this congregation. Okay? We, uh, there are certain truths okay, that, in actual fact, you probably have to believe to be part of this community. Okay? If you don't believe that Jesus is God, that's a fairly major disagreement that we have there. And... That's probably not going to fit well within this context. So there are certain truths that are kind of an absolute. But in actual fact, in terms of what is the wise thing to do or the compassionate thing to do or the right thing to do in given circumstances, we want to help to raise a people, a family, who think rather than just who learn. And so it's very important um, that in actual fact, constantly in our daily interactions with one another, we're saying, right, Holy Spirit, and give me wisdom here and help me to know what is the right, right way to do that. So having said I won't tell you what to do, I will, however, give you a few tips, if that would help. <laughs> First off, so what have we got? Five minutes, seven points. I'll go quickly. Right, a few tips. First off, what would Jesus do? Good. Get the bracelet, if you like. If you remember the WWJD bracelets, they were, yeah, they were big back in the 90s. Okay, remember, what would Jesus do, and also how would he do it? Okay, Jesus typically, even when he was confronting people, would do that with grace and with their best interests at heart. Point two, people who don't know Jesus primarily need to be told of his love for them. Don't tell them to change their behavior. They're not saved. You'll just make them legalistic. Okay? What they need is an encounter with Jesus, and your job is to be able to help to introduce them to Jesus. Number three, look at the heart. What what, what do you think is someone's heart behind the situation? Someone who loves Jesus, has messed up, knows it, and wants to make things right, is likely going to be fine, um, and needs to be reminded of the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, especially if they are feeling guilty. Someone who is being rebellious, despite knowing what they're doing is wrong, needs to be warned for their own sake. Also, as I said earlier, if someone's behavior is having a disruptive influence amongst other people, that's somewhere where actual fact that in that moment needs to be confronted. I think looking at timings as well, if someone is feeling guilty because of past actions, then... Um, but is in a relationship with God, it is likely to be appropriate to emphasize the complete freedom and forgiveness that Jesus bought for them. If someone is about to do something wrong, it's likely that you need to emphasize the possible consequences of their actions and tell them not to be an idiot. Okay? (laughs) Uh, On that line, point five, I've written, don't be judgmental. Um, (laughs) 
point six. The more responsibility you are given, for example, being in, an, uh, in a place of leadership, then the greater effect your actions have um, and the more that that needs to be taken into account. Okay? Um, so, and that's fact within the church as well, that we would take that more seriously if someone's action, if, if someone is supposed to be in a position where they are supposed to be in an example, then the actual fact their character is of utmost importance, more than their gifting. It's really important to bear in mind. Point seven, very important, do everything in love. When you are speaking to someone, if your heart is not that they know the love of the Father, that they walk in freedom, that they know freedom from guilt, and they, they live in the way that is best for them, then you are doing it wrong. I, I can, and that I can say with confidence. If you are not doing things out of love for the person that you are speaking to, whether you are bringing either compassion or a warning, both of those need to be done in love. That's how Jesus would do it. We'll wrap up in a minute and I'll pray. I would just like to flag up one sermon that I listened to uh, by Chris Vallotton. We had Chris Vallotton with us uh, recently. Um, and he was fantastic, wasn't he? And he was a real blessing uh, just to have a man of stature. Um, and also, uh, I think, just uh, seeing his genuine warmth and, and love and care, I think, in that uh, environment, in the way he taught, uh, was very powerful. But there's um, a sermon that he preached on a specific, which stirred my thinking on this, on a specific example of, of divorce and remarriage. Um, this, if you, you can find it on the Bethel podcast, it's from August last year, uh, 20th of August. And if you want to hear an example of someone who has clearly thought through, how can we teach um, that God loves marriage and God um, is against divorce and God wants healthy marriages, fruitful marriages, marriages where people flourish, but yet also, how can we teach, in actual fact, for people that are coming into our environment, people that have been divorced, that there can be complete freedom and restoration from that, and the actual fact that you can live in freedom and enjoy healthy relationships afterwards. Chris Vallotton was outstanding on that, and I would heartily recommend, just as an example of what I've been talking this morning, it goes into it in more detail. It will stir your thinking, and I'd encourage you just to listen to that as well. Okay? Would you stand, and I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that the answer to everything is in your presence. Thank you that you have set us free. That you have set us free to know you, to walk in that freedom, to live lives in your presence, in your power. And I pray for each of us that our answers to living a godly life also knowing freedom from guilt are just found in you. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you will just touch our hearts. Keep us always with soft hearts, both towards ourselves and towards others as well. And I just pray as well in the way that we counsel other people in terms of their actions. Holy Spirit, we ask for wisdom. We trust that you bring that, that that is a gift that you offer. Just stretch out your hands. Expect to receive that now. Okay, very simple. The Bible says anyone that wants wisdom, Jesus, ask for it. Let's ask for that now. Father God, we ask for the wisdom of heaven. We ask that you will give us a supernatural wisdom in the way that we conduct ourselves and in the way that we counsel other people and in our relationships. We just say all for your glory. Amen. All right. Bless you. Good.